I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And um, I want us to read the, the Palm Sunday passage. It's, it's the passage we all know really, really well. And it's something that whenever you come to Palm Sunday, there's an expectation of us reading this, correct? This is the same passage that, that hundreds of thousands of people, churches, I'm sorry, are reading. And millions of Tens of millions of Christians will be reading this morning. And it's interesting because when you watch how time changes, that basically for 24 hours, this passage will be read. This passage will be read for 24 hours straight. Let's read this. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet Him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the One who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your King is coming. Riding on donkeys on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him before. Let me give you an explanation of this passage. And it's a passage that we, we all know very, very well. It's a passage, again, whether you are, are churched or unchurched, whether you grew up going to Sunday school every single... And this would have been a, been a great one. Remember the little felt things for all you uh, good Baptists and Pentecostals out there? Remember the little felt boards that they would have the donkey and blah, 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 and it would kind of walk in. But this is, this is something that I feel like oftentimes we, we take a very simple passage and we, and we kind of dumb it down and, and simplify it to, to a very simple term. And there's two sides of this passage. There's this childlike excitement and faith. And then there's this deep, mature lesson that so many people had no idea what he was doing until after the resurrection. You notice how it says that at the very end that the disciples, that they didn't understand what, what was being written about the donkey being written in. And, and then all of a sudden, there came a time when there was that epiphany. That epiphany where they realized, do you remember that happened with Jesus? That was written about in the old scrolls. But the explanation of the passage was, is simply this. Many times when Jesus entered the cities or the towns or came up on a boat, Word of him always spread quickly. So no matter where he pulled up, no matter where he went, there were always crowds of people ushering him in. But this one was very unique because it was the Passover. This was the high holy holiday that everyone was celebrating the liberty and the freedom of the Jewish people from when they were slaves from Pharaoh. Do you remember that? You know Moses and the Exodus? That's what the Passover is. It's a celebration that the people of God, after they were in slavery for 490 years, God released them through one man. 
And so as these people watched Jesus, just like Moses had freed the people of Israel, they were welcoming in Jesus as that next leader who was going to bring freedom and liberty to them. That no longer were they going to live under the bondage of others. No longer were they going to live under the curse of strongholds put on others. And so when Jesus came, the simple explanation is that they were celebrating who He was, and not only who He was, what He was about to do. How many of you are watching March Madness? Any of you watching March Madness? Basketball? Okay, you guys are not a lot of basketball fans here. Any of you watched last night, Kentucky versus Notre Dame? Okay, what an amazing game. In my polls, I have Kentucky winning the whole thing. Why? Because everyone knows Kentucky is going to win the whole thing. But I will say this. I watched, a little, I watched a little thing on, um, on Notre Dame before that. And all of a sudden, I started rooting for Notre Dame. Realizing that I had my pride on the line with my, with my brackets. But this, this was this moment where, where Notre Dame knew that like this was the game. If they won this game, they were going to take the whole thing. I really believe that. If Notre Dame, right Pammy? If they won, absolutely, spoken like a good fighting Irish. If they were going to win, this was it. This was their final hurrah. I mean, guys were playing out of themselves. I mean, this guy, August, was just dunking on everyone. It was one of those times where, where he will sit down with his grandkids and tell the stories of when he was coming down the lane and one of the guys shot it and he just grabbed it and, oh, Okay, if you're a dunker, you know that ah oh, feeling, okay? Back in my high school days, not these days. But but there's this moment, and I even know as an athlete that in the beginning of the season and people are cheering you on, go, go, go. You're kind of walking out in the stands, you're like, yeah, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, I'm playing to the crowds, I'm playing to the crowds. But there comes a point in your athletic history that you know this is it. This is my final hurrah. And I remember even in high school, my junior year, when we made it all the way to the semifinals. And we shouldn't have made it that far. And I remember that game when the crowds were just going nuts. And we were playing a team that was supposed to beat us. And I remember just the excitement in the locker room and something in me didn't go from out here, but it went right in here. Where I didn't even care about the crowds anymore. I was, I, was, I was so consumed with the mission that was before me. But everyone in the stands was enjoying the moment. Everyone in the stands was going crazy. Everyone in the stands were, were cheering us on that, that we were going to be victors. And I look at this passage to, to simplify it to, to its easiest form. It's, it's like that. These people, these crowds were so in awe that Jesus was the victor. That Jesus was the one. That Jesus was going to bring this, this new liberty and freedom to all the, all the Jewish people. That when He walked into the city and they heard about Him, they said, let's get the buses. Let's get the bullhorns. And since we don't have batteries, we're going to get palm branches. And they just started ushering him in. And all of a sudden, you could hear the chant 
from a distance away. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. And if you're a Florida State, all you would hear is, oh, 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 no Florida State fans out here? No, one, way back there. But you would hear this chant. But this was totally different than what was going on in Jesus. Because what Jesus was going to do, His interpretation and their interpretation were two different things. Their interpretation was, we are going to find liberty from the governments before us. We are going to find liberty from our neighbors who have been abusive. We are going to find liberty that now we have the power, the empowerment to live out the God-given dreams in our local context. But Jesus' interpretation was 100% different. He was going to bring them liberty. And He was going to bring them freedom. But even how He entered the city on an untrained donkey, that's what a cult is, an untrained donkey, He was showing them something completely different than what they expected. You see, if you, if you read the Apocrypha, you know of a guy named uh, Judas. And not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. Who came riding in, and this, and this is the whole story of Hanukkah. You know the story of Hanukkah, the festival of lights? This is, this is, this is true story. There was, there was a man named Judas of Maccabee, who everyone thought was the Messiah. And when he came in to fight the, the, the government, he came in on a horse, a white horse, riding down. And he came in to slaughter people, to physically take over the governments. But he died. And so everyone was looking at this Judas of Maccabee on this big white horse that he was going to be the one to save the day. He was going to be the Messiah. He was the chosen one, but he wasn't because in battle he died. And that's the celebration of Hanukkah. Any of you know that? That's the whole, that's the whole story of Hanukkah. Right there. And the way they honored him was by lights. They lit up the city when he came in. That's the story of Hanukkah. But for Jesus, he, he lived out the prophecy of Scripture. That he wasn't going to come in on a white horse. And that as Isaiah 53 says, that he was going to be handed over to be beaten. He was going to be handed over to be put on trial. He was going to be handed over to be put on a criminal's death. And then he was going to die. But in his death, he would be resurrected to life. You see, the people wanted a a Judas of Maccabee. They wanted the white horse. They wanted the chant. They wanted the robe. They wanted the gold. They wanted the crown. But Jesus came with a small little bag riding on an untrained donkey. Because here was the mission of God. To eternally restore humanity. It wasn't to restore the people of Israel in their temporary situation. It was to restore all of humanity. 
That was the mission of God. And when Jesus showed up and he saw the crowds, and, and, and I think oftentimes we, we see, and, and I think we need to know that, that, that Jesus was a happy person. Jesus smiled and he laughed and he did everything that we did. But, but when I think about Palm Sunday, even if he had a little smirk on his face, I truly believed in his soul. His soul was cringing, knowing that he was going into a procession of his execution. That's what he was doing. They were proceeding him to his execution. They were welcoming him to his death. Have you ever thought about that with Palm Sunday? And Jesus, in that moment, embraced it. And even in my quiet times this morning of reading Scripture, I, one of the things that I read early on in the Gospels uh, this morning was, was that oftentimes Jesus found himself alone in prayer early in the morning. And I wonder about all the times that Jesus was alone in prayer and, and God was preparing His heart for what was to come. And there was a tension between being fully God and fully man that, that we just think that Jesus probably showed up and said, okay, this is it. I'm just going to walk through it. It's almost like we think about Jesus going to the cross. Okay, I just got to die and it's not going to hurt. That almost like when the nails started going into His hands that, that the supernatural power went through Him that He felt nothing that takes away from the humanity of Jesus Christ. I would say more of this, that God was preparing Jesus' heart. And when He showed up, probably that image of what was going to happen was going to be very different. But He knew what He was walking into. And too often, we simplify Jesus that He never went through the pain and the stress that we go through. Anyone have pain or stress this week? Anyone? Do you realize that Jesus felt pain and stress and agony, especially beginning now? The mission of Jesus Christ was to take away the power of sin and death so that all of humanity could be restored to walk in a relationship with God. But the tension and the thing that breaks the heart of God the most is not that all follow Him, but only many. Only many. It's open to all, but only many follow. And even in that moment, Jesus knew that, that this was for everyone, but only some would receive. Only some would receive. But this is what we need to look at this, this, this morning is that God was always on mission for humanity. God is always on mission for humanity. And too often when we come to church, we, we almost want a self-help lesson. But this morning is not a self-help lesson. The most self-help you are going to learn this morning is take your eyes off of yourself and put it on the Creator of the universe because God from day one was on a mission to restore all of humanity. That is the lesson. 
Let me just walk through real quickly with you. Throughout all of Scripture, he was intent on restoring humanity to be in an intimate relationship with him. It began with Adam and Eve. Listen to this. This is what the mission that God gave Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God created Adam and Eve with the mission to multiply and to be caretakers of this earth. God had a mission. He didn't want to be close with the furry little creatures, even though the furry little creatures love God. You know, you could just see Jesus sitting down with his disciples and a little squirrel jumps on his lap and a little tweet, tweet, little bird on his shoulder. And then all of a sudden, another little furry deer walks up and you can see him like telling a lesson and feeding the deer. Like you just get that feeling. But God was always on mission. And he always invited his greatest creation, us, to be on mission with him. And it began with Adam and Eve. His mission was to create humanity who would be in love with him. And in, create, in humanity, humanity was going to procreate to fill this earth that all of humanity, not some, not many, not a few, but all of creation would worship him. But we know the story. Adam and Eve sinned, breaking that restoration. And you know what God did? He disciplined them. But he continued to seek on mission to restore his greatest creation, you and I. Noah's Ark. Think about this. The world was in a state of mass chaos and sin. Wickedness was so bad that God got so frustrated. He's like, I'm done. I'm going to eliminate everyone. I can't stand my creation. But the heart of God, knowing that He was going to wipe out His greatest creation, said, time out. I need to restore them again. It's like with kids. There comes a point in all of our lives. No matter how cute your kids are, your kids will drive you crazy. And there will be times when you're like, I can't believe just my kid just did that. I can't believe he just stooped so low. What have I created? I've created a monster. Anyone ever feel that way, parents? No? Okay. <laughs> Seriously. And that was the moment of God. I've created monsters. But I love them so much that I will redeem them. And he started to recreate humanity through Noah. And his family. What about Abram? Let's look at Abram. Let's see what it says here. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your family, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. God took a sinful pagan man named Abram, a man who lived in the wickedness of his day, and said, I'm going to choose you. To build a new nation that will worship and glorify me. Abram lived like everyone else. Abram lived in a pagan world, worshiping many gods. 
the sun God, the moon God, the cow God, all these things Abram had done. And God said, I love humanity so much, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to show you the power of who I am. It goes on to Moses. Abram created a great nation. His name went from Abraham, Abram to Abraham. And God did a supernatural work in his wife's life. He took an old barren woman and allowed her to conceive a child. He took an old barren woman and allowed her to conceive a child. And God said, I'm going to do something supernatural along the way so you know that I am your God. You will follow me. And then all of a sudden, the people of Israel was created. The people of Israel were put into slavery. And then God said, I'm going to continue to hunt you down. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to relentlessly pursue you. Women, isn't that what you desire from a man? That they would relentlessly pursue you? And that's what God did. Look at a little crack up over there. Someone's in love over there. But that's the truth. That's what God did. He relentlessly pursued them. And He used Moses to free a people and He put them on mission. And then all these different things happened in the Old Testament and then it went quiet for a period of time. And then God looked down and said, it's time. It's time to send myself for the greatest mission of all. To take away the power of sin and death. To take away the curse of sin. And to allow all who want to walk in the ways of Adam, who will be able to know me, to be filled by my Spirit, and walk in holiness and purity with me. And he called a little girl named Mary. And he called a, a guy probably 18 to 20 years old named Joseph. And he did the most supernatural thing ever. He allowed a woman, a young girl, who had never had sex, to conceive a child. He took a world of scandal and he made the greatest scandal ever happen. To use them. To be on mission with them. To have this baby be born. To be the Redeemer. The Restorer. The Savior. The Healer. The coming King of the world. When Jesus was born, the angels proclaimed, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Peace to all humanity. And all throughout history, when you look at history, God was on mission to restore us that we would not live in a broken world, that we would be able to have eternity here, but even more so have eternity after this life. And all Jesus did for the rest of His, for his whole human life was He lived out that restoration process. He stepped into everyone's world and became like us but without sin. He became the perfect Adam. He wanted to restore humanity to its original intention just like the Garden of Eden. God does not want you to live in a place of depression. God does not want you to live in a place of bitterness and anger. 
God does not want you to live in a place of sin and, and sickness. God doesn't want any of that. And the reason I know that is because He sent Jesus on a mission where all He did is He walked around and He showed the restoration power of the living God who sits on the throne in heaven. Think about that. You see, that's what this week leads into. And this week will get lost. This week is not, is not the ending of the Christmas story. This is the beginning of the Christian faith. This is where it all begins. This is actually the starting line. When we have gone through all of our pain and all of our trauma and all of our issues, the moment we come to Jesus, the moment we are filled with His Holy Spirit, that's the starting line of life. And too many Christians don't understand that. And their lives look no different than before they met Jesus. And all they do is question, was it even worth it? God is on mission for you to restore you to the wholeness that He has created you to be. He has not created you to be filled with all of sins and humanity's issues. He has created you to be a people set apart, sanctified, changed, not looking like your neighbors, not acting like your neighbors, being so unique that when people see us, they're saying, what? is going on in your life. Why do you look like that? Why do you act like that? How do you have peace in the middle of storms? What is it about you that that just drives you to be able to be so unique that I am so attracted to you that I just want to be in your life? That's what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. He was creating a starting line for all of humanity to be restored. But it doesn't stop there. And this is where church gets it all wrong. Let's read this, to, let's read this Matthew 28, 18-20. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you when? Always. Always. Even to the end of the earth. Jesus gathered His disciples after His resurrection. And He was with them for 40 days. And this is towards the end of the 40 days. This is probably day like 34, 35. And He gathers them. This is before, he, before Acts begins and he says, he says, I am sending you out. I am empowering you with my Holy Spirit. I am putting that same presence that lived in me in you to go teach people to obey my commandments. I am sending you out to baptize people as a symbol that they were no longer the same individuals they used to be. That's all baptism is. It's saying I'm standing in a crowd of people saying, I no longer want to be the Rob Parker that you used to know. That's what baptism is. I'm saying I am standing before you saying that today I am putting to death my old life so that I can be filled and be presented to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And what Jesus was doing was He was sending His disciples to be a people who are set apart. Who are so uniquely different that people would live in awe of them. Not because of who they are, but because of the presence that lives in them. Listen to what J.R. Woodward wrote. I love this statement. He says, We see throughout Scripture that God is on mission. God is ascending God. He took the initiative to pursue us. Coming into our world, seeking, wooing, calling, and restoring. You see that? That's what Jesus did. He sought. He wooed. He restored. It was the Father, and watch this path. The Father sent the Son, and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. Too often we look at Jesus as Father, Son, and Bible. We don't look at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that the moment I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ that God's presence lives in me. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Lives in me. Say that. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Say that. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Amen. And too often we don't experience that because we don't realize that when the Holy Spirit fills us and for that first year or two when we're just like, i got to just live this. i got to see it. i got to show it. All of a sudden, we allow the worries of the world and the cares of this life to just kind of push it away. But here's what Jesus did. He was a sending God. He said, I want you to reflect me to the world. I just want to give you two quotes. The church is not the mission. I love this. The mission has a church. If you think Christianity is about coming to church on a Sunday, I think you really need to ask yourself, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think too many churches believe this, that the church, the church is the mission. That's what they believe. The church is the mission. Me gathering you on Sunday is the mission. No. The church is not the mission. The mission has a church. The gathering of people is the church. When Jesus gathered His people, He says, you are the church. I am gathering you to send you into the world to reveal who I am, to reveal my power, to reveal my presence, to reveal my forgiveness, to reveal who I am. I love this other quote. Church exists as a sign, symbol, and foretaste of the kingdom of God. Sunday night, I'm sorry, Tuesday night when we were praying, so many people were there to say, man, I just, I just, this presence was amazing. The presence we were in was amazing. God was with us. And all God was saying is, take it with you. Take it with you. I love gathering like this. And this is so important. But that same, we gather to what? 
We gather to scatter. So when we gather and we feel God's presence, we're saying, I need more of that. And you walk into this world and you bring God's presence with you. You bring His presence with you. Too often we look at it as come and see. Come and see my church. Come and, come and see who we are. Come and see what we're doing. I have a little change of heart. What about go and be the church? Why don't we go and be the church? Go and be. And everything we do here is we, we're teaching you. God in the bar. We're teaching you. I mean, think about this. We are crossing every, every evangelical barrier doing God in the bar. We are messing with other churches' minds. We are freaking them out that, that we are saying that we are willing to go into the place that is such a taboo and we're going to sit down and talk with people over a beer, over a glass of wine, over buffalo wings, God's greatest food, over all these things. And all we're saying is this, if you don't drink, go out for soda. Go have a discussion around a table. But what we're saying is we're stepping out of the church and we are going to meet people right where they're at. We are going to meet them right where they are at. I have so many pastors that call me up. Literally, literally. We have elders from, from another church that literally sneaks into our office to sit down and talk with us. You know what they say? They say, we really want to do what you guys are doing, but we can't. I had a pastor of a, a, a large, large church say to me, we use all your lingo, Rob. We don't do anything you're doing. Our people won't do it. We use all your lingo. Missional. Incarnational. Right? All these cool words. Like all you have to do is say missional. And everyone's like, ooh. Incarnational. Ooh. Oh, no. And he said to me, we use your lingo. But we're not doing it. We just gather people. What a horrific way to live the Christian life. We are sent by the living God because the living God lives in us. And I love as a church what we have done. We have planted ourselves in the community of Mawa to learn, to learn to be the presence of Jesus. And the reason we do missional communities in multiple towns is to learn to be the presence of Jesus in our communities. Did you hear what I said? Not to be the presence, to learn to be the presence of Jesus in our communities. And here are two questions that drive us as a church and as leadership. Can you throw them up? What is God up to in our neighborhoods and communities? And what is God calling us to do? Imagine if you lived on these two questions. God, what are you up to in my neighborhood? God, what are you doing with my neighbors? God, what are you doing with, 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 with my, my son's coach, my daughter's coach, my, my kid's teachers? What are you doing in my neighborhood and in my community? And God, what are you calling me to do about it? Imagine if we were people like the early church, if we started asking these two questions, if we asked these two questions, if we asked these two questions. 
I believe that God would restore every single community in the United States of America. So here's what I'm going to do with my family. I'm going to go down trying. And if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're not living in this sent attitude, and you only feel comfortable with other Christians, I'm scared for you. I'm scared because you're missing out on the joy that God has before you. And all you're becoming is more and more legalistic. Outwardly, you might act a little different. Maybe your language has changed. Maybe your posture is a little straighter. Maybe things are a little bit more in order. Maybe your house is a little cleaner. Maybe you know the Bible a little bit better. But inwardly, you will come to a place that you feel spiritually dead and empty. And then all you're going to do is you're going to become a consumer and you're going to run to church to church because you're never going to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. Think about this. I think a lot of people would think like I'm an idiot how I preach. <laughs> I'm serious. Every week I call you guys to something really hard. I, I really question myself like, God, what am I doing? There's times after a sermon like this that I'll go home and say, God, I think I need to quit. No, I'm serious. Don't, don't I say that? How many times a month? Three or four. Three or four. <laughs> because I really feel like Do we really want to do this? Do we really want to know the power of the living Christ? Do we truly believe in Scripture that Palm Sunday actually was a, was a truth that, that God sent His Son? Do we actually believe that, that, that in this area that, that God wants to use men and women and teenagers and kids to change the world. I really think I'm an idiot at times. I'm being serious. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I will go home and I will cry. And I will weep that, are we getting it? I want to tell you this. This is not even my conclusion. God is up to something. And we are invited to be a part of it. And here's what he's going to do. It's like the, 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 the parable of the banquet. He's going to invite everyone to come to the banquet to party with him. But the most bizarre people are the ones that are going to be showing up. Do you know that? It's like a freak show. It was like Star Wars bar scene. That's what the banquet, that's what the banquet was. Because everyone expects certain people to show up, but it's always the people you least expect. I want us to be the vehicle of the mission of God. That's my prayer.
Our mission is not to create a church in Mawa. God has a church in Mawa to live out his mission. And yes, we do that through our missional communities. I truly believe that there's a gathering of people in one of the local towns from our church that God will plant, not only continue to to try to formulate this missional community, but he's going to be planting a church in the next several years. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. God has empowered you with a mission. And if you feel like your spiritual life is off, and you feel like you need more this or that, or you feel like something that is not right in your soul, I'll tell you what it is. You have not taken the invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to change you, to transform you, and to be Jesus in your local context. Let me give you one story, and then I'll wrap it up with this. Sarah and Jeff Vandermolen, and we need to be praying for them right now. Their son, we know Ethan has uh, CF. He's really not doing well. We need to be praying for him. He's going through another round of medicine. It's, 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 CF's a, C, CF is a deadly disease. Okay? But they went through hell at a other church far from here, not even, not even close in the surrounding towns. And they came to the plant and they've been, they were with us. Now they're with Kurt. And I said to them, I pulled them aside. I said, I said, what's God done in your life in the last year? You know what they both said? God healed our marriage. I said, seriously? They both said, yes. I said, I never preached on marriage. We know. What happened? You got us on mission for Jesus Christ. We took our eyes off of ourselves and we put them out there. Do you know how many couples have told me that? We've never done a marriage small group. What would happen if we all put away our agendas and our plans and we said, fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us on mission. That's the invitation. That's the invitation to Holy Week. And I just got chills in my legs right now. The greatest thing in all of our lives is to worship Him with who we are. That means with who we are. All we are. That is the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's look at communion this way this morning. Let's look at it as an invitation to be on mission. Amen? And let's be fair to ourselves. If we don't want to go on mission, don't take communion. You're not safe for a week this week. If you take communion today, it doesn't mean you're safe for eternity till next week. That doesn't mean that. Jesus gathered his people and he said, every time you eat, do this in remembrance of me. But what are they remembering? The mission of God. Amen? Amen. We're going to go into a song of preparation. We're going to go into a song of preparation. 
And then after that, I'm going to have uh, Jeremy and Sue help me out with communion up here. And let's take the next 15 minutes. We're going to wrap it up in 15 minutes. And let's let this be a time of an invitation to the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's worship Him saying, I'm yours. Think of this as Palm Sunday. Everyone else is cheering. They don't know what's going on, but you have that eyes on the prize. Jesus, today, I want to learn to be sent. Amen? God, prepare our hearts through this song to welcome this invitation to come alive. To come alive. No power of sin, no scheme of man can ever take me from His hand. God, I ask You now that that if there's someone struggling with alcoholism, if there's someone struggling with some kind of sexual sin, if there's someone struggling with their finances, if there's someone struggling with their marriage, that God, as they say yes to the invitation, healing will be present. Amen? Amen. Allow this moment. Use this gathering of people to do more than we could ever, ever imagine what is possible. May we live out that calling of the early church to see signs and wonders, power displayed, not just on Sunday mornings, but in our offices, carpooling, on the fields, everywhere we go. May the power of Jesus, yes, Holy Spirit, come, fall on us. I surrender myself as a pastor. Fall on us that we would be sent in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.